Welcome to Scanet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of some of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we did not cover in this episode. Before we start, if you have any feedback or thoughts about our podcast, feel free to email us at contact at lastweekin.ai. We'd love to hear from you. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Sharon Zhou. And I am your other host, PhD student Andrei Karenkov. And this week, we'll be discussing some systems for detecting COVID variants and also technology for self-farming. We'll be discussing art authentication and research on uh, speech recognition that uses video. We'll talk some about facial recognition and jobs and end with a few fun stories about beer and robot dogs. So to hit things off, we have our applications and business stories, starting with the story BioNTech and London AI create early warning system for COVID-19 variants. So this is an article discussing the paper early computational detection of potential high-risks uh, SARS-CoV-2 variants. And as the title suggests, it's all about detecting variants that are bad, uh, like what we've seen with Delta and Omicron. And essentially, it uh, summarizes how these two companies, BioNTech, the German BioNTech company that pioneered the messenger RNA technology behind the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, this company has partnered with the London company InstaDeep to create uh, this early warning system. And uh, yeah, it, this article goes into a lot of detail. Essentially, it's a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff I don't understand uh, having to do with uh, you know biology and chemistry. But the at the end the results is that they can rank variants in terms of how bad they seem and their system could pick out 12 of the 13 uh, coronavirus variants that the World Health, Health Organization has designated as potentially dangerous. So pretty cool. And then also to add to that, we have a second article. This AI software nearly predicted Omicron's streaky structure uh, where the last article actually there's no real deep learning. It's it's using more old techniques, uh, which is kind of interesting. Whereas in this one, it's all about how this researcher Colby Ford, just after uh, the WHO said that Omicron is a variant of concern, basically before any lab could go and figure out its protein structure in detail, he used... Um, the really new uh, AI methods, uh, DeepMind's AlphaFold and the similar RosettaFold to just from the DNA figure out the protein structure and in fact was pretty accurate. Uh, so that's also really exciting. It shows that now we can really respond much more quickly because of these sorts of uh, research papers. Yeah, I think... This is huge because otherwise he would have had to, you know, go out for lab supplies, buy them and then um, do all these experiments when now uh, he can just run open source software, which, you know, anyone, 
anyone can run, uh, any of the labs can run it now. Um, so I think this will help with vaccine development. It'll help with, you know, understanding new variants. Um, yeah, this will help with a lot of things. And I'm very excited to see this research really going out into the real world and helping something very immediate. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's interesting in the article, it goes into how this other group actually ordered these samples from the WHO and had to wait. And so what's cool is that this uh, um, other uh, lab that used the AI methods could predict some things accurately or right away. And it also says uh, in this article that these techniques, which just came out middle of last year, as far as open source software, are already really highly adopted. So the two papers on AlphaFold and RosettaFold already have 1,200 citations uh, in the like half year they've been around. So really are making a big impact pretty quickly, which is exciting. It's a huge number of citations. <laughs> um. And on to our next article, uh, we're one step closer to self-farming farms. Uh, and this is about the self-driving John Deere 8R tractor that can uh, plow fields, avoid obstacles, and actually plant crops by itself um, with maybe a little bit of human intervention, which is super cool. So it's a John Deere tractor uh, that you can see on the fields, um, but there are uh, six pairs of cameras uh, that are kind of scanning the surroundings um, and using computer vision uh, to make sure it can uh, operate effectively. Uh, and this is very exciting because this kind of uh, sets the stage up for farms that don't need as many people. And because there is a huge labor shortage right now, um, this is more and more a big deal. Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty cool that some of these ideas, uh, we've seen a lot of news about self-driving cars, but uh, self-farming farms, as this article says, is also very useful. And in some ways, it's similar here. It's using a bunch of sensors and the, fact, uh, the tractor can use that. And it's related to this concept of uh, precision agriculture, which uh, does a lot of these sort of AI related things. So you can have drones uh, uh, fly over the field and really do a lot of uh, sensing and, and get a lot of data. And with that, you can produce more crops with less effort and less environmental impact and have higher yields. So I think, yeah, technology like this is going to be a big deal. And maybe isn't uh, doesn't get as much hype but definitely i'm excited about it as far as uses of ai and and uses of robotics yeah this uh actually there's a huge issue with humans human farmers sometimes uh who this might be a tmi but <laughs> they're issues with human waste in the fields uh which robots do not defecate. So um, that actually has led to a lot of, you know, problems with disease and everything. And so um, from the people I've talked to in the industry, they said that they very much welcome robots, both because of the huge shortage of labor and as a result, uh, you know, not being able to harvest crops properly. Um, and also um, how humans, uh, human labor is not 
perfect um, and, and can cause like pretty um, bad downstream effects. For example, like the the lettuce E. coli thing with Chipotle that we've seen before and just et cetera. Like, so you have to be much more careful about uh, sanitation with humans. Yeah. And also uh, related to this somewhere, something that's still very difficult and we don't have results for, but there is a lot of work on uh, harvesting on basically, for instance, fruit picking. So getting apples out of trees and that sort of thing. This is a very laborious work for humans. It's, you know, you know, backbreaking, you get a go all day. And there is a labor shortage for that sort of thing. Uh, and you can imagine it would be really nice if we could have robots do that as robots don't get tired and don't get injuries and all that sort of thing. So that's something that's also in development and, um, you know, still not there, but I think is something to look forward to. And also, you know, in this whole area, we have uh, precision, um, weed killing and basically using these uh, pesticides in, in a minimal way instead of just spraying it everywhere, which of course also would be beneficial. So there's a lot of aspects here where AI and robotics could be a big deal. Uh, and I think over the coming decades, we'll really see that come about. And honestly, it's a great test bed in terms of agriculture because there are fewer people around uh, to hurt. Uh, so um, in terms of any kind of self-driving vehicle, this is a much safer test bed, or at least you'll have much um, less human damage uh, if something goes goes wrong. Uh, that being said, you will have downstream problems if you do mess up something uh, with the food. Alrighty, and then moving on to our research news stories, we have the first one titled, We Were Blown Away, How New AI Research is Changing the Way Conservators and Collectors Think About Attribution. So this is about the paper, Discerning the Painter's Hand, Machine Learning on Surface Topography. And it basically details a new technique that can attribute a painting to a particular artist. It can say, you know, based on these patches of the image, um, it's most likely that this particular artist painted that and, and not this one. And there's some interesting details here. It uses very, very high resolution scans of these paintings. So, you know, paintings aren't flat, right? You have all these bumps and so on from the paint and it uses incredibly high resolution uh, scans where you can really tell the very minute differences. And based on just little patches of the image, they trained this uh, computer vision model to then be able to predict uh, who, which artist did what. And as you can imagine for, art people, <laughs> the art world, they care about forgeries. So this uh, could be very useful. Yeah, I mean, I I think when I first saw this article, uh, I first thought, oh, is this about, you know, deep fakes or something? Um, but this is, I guess, around uh, human created fakes <laughs> um, and trying to uh, understand, you know, the different styles across different artists, which is not unlike trying to find, figure out the different styles of different uh, generators that are generating fake, fake data. Um, so it's very interesting to, to see this being applied on um, 
human art forgery. Yeah, and, and there's some neat details in this uh, paper. So, for instance, the researchers ask students from the Cleveland Institute of Arts to paint four identical yellow flowers in bloom. And then they, uh, you know, in their experiments, actually try to attribute these four identical uh, paintings to the particular artist. So, um yeah, I think that's a fun detail where to actually do a paper, you had to produce new paintings <laughs> by individual people, which is not something uh, you often see. And on to our next article, Meta claims its AI improves speech recognition quality by reading lips. Okay, so this is a, a, blog, a post um, about their uh, Meta's paper, which is, you know, formerly known as Facebook, uh, called Learning Audiovisual Speech Representation by Masked Multimodal Cluster Prediction and uh, Audiovisual Hidden Unit BERT, A.V. Hubert. Um, and A.V. Hubert is a framework that uh, learns uh, to understand speech by watching and hearing people speak. So it looks at a video of someone speaking, your lip movements, and it also hears the audio of what you're saying. Um, and that can help improve improve speech recognition uh, considerably. Um, and what's interesting is uh, I think they they claim that uh, A.V. Hubert is 75% more accurate um, than the state of the art using the same number of transcriptions, but that it also performs really well with small amounts of data. So um, it can do it could do better than the state of the art with only, you know, 10% of the data. So it can therefore be useful for languages that don't have as much audio data and this is you know often actually maybe a problem for audio much more so than text because there's just so much less audio out there yeah yeah this is a pretty cool paper we've seen this sort of research in the past actually this article goes over some of that where you combine video and audio and this very intuitively would help in cases where it's like a no noisy environment you have music in the background or something just having audio is not as useful as video and audio but what's neat here is uh, most of the training is unsupervised, so you don't need paired data of audio and video. They use a little bit just to kickstart it, and then they uh, do the, the rest in an unsupervised fashion. So they have uh, like 30 hours of labeled videos where you have paired things and from TED Talks, uh, which is interesting. And then they, in an unsupervised fashion, train on 2,400 hours of English language videos of celebrities uh, on YouTube. And that helps a lot. Uh, one thing I found cool is that this is actually extending Hubert uh, from last year, which we talked about, which is Facebook's work on learning to do speech recognition on audio in an unsupervised fashion. So we, we talked about that, how it's interesting, how you could even accomplish that, uh, you know, recognize speech without having labeled audio. And now they've already extended that to both audio and video. Um, yeah, definitely going to be useful in the future. Definitely going to be useful in the future. I agree. <laughs> and on to our society and ethics stories. Uh, first up, we have the messy history of facial recognition company Clearview AI, which 
I wrote. <laughs> so we're going to talk about it a bit. Yeah, so this is on our last week in that AI newsletter. Seems like an okay post. I'm not sure. You know, I, I think it's okay. I think it's okay. Um, I'm joking. It's amazing. But yeah, I mean, uh, as any regular listeners, listeners know, we talk about Clevier AI a lot. We talk about it, yeah. I don't know, like probably 10 times in the past year or something. And so this uh, post of mine basically summarizes all the things we've talked about and we've seen with regards to Clearview AI in the past couple of years. Um, so if you're kind of interested in seeing the progression of its uh, history, this might be interesting. And what, what I found interesting looking back and summarizing things is that Actually, Clevia AI was working uh, kind of in obscurity and wasn't well known until the start of 2020 when a New York Times expose basically revealed it and explained a lot of what it was doing. And then uh, BuzzFeed also had an article about it. Um, so this expose from New York Times was this secretive company that might end privacy as we know it. Uh, a few months before we started the podcast in January of 2020. And then over the next few months, you have a dozen news stories uh, and there's really a flood of responses to it. So yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to realize looking back that this was very much a press coverage driven event of the New York Times and BuzzFeed basically highlighted that Clearview was collecting all this data from all over the internet. And then YouTube and Facebook and other companies sent their cease and desist letters and the SCLU sued Clearview and all these things happened. And uh, yeah, to this day, we're still seeing Clearview operating. Uh, we've talked about them potentially getting a patent soon for facial recognition, which is interesting. But yeah, looking back, I think it's, it's interesting to see how much happened in early 2020 uh, when it just surfaced, basically. And the saga definitely continues as there has been another recent article uh, titled The Fed's Spending on Facial Recognition Tech Expands Despite Privacy Concerns. And so on December 30th, uh, the FBI actually signed a deal with Clearview AI for an $18,000 subscription license to uh, the facial recognition technology at Clearview. And this, you know, the article discusses how this might seem like not too much for um, for the FBI uh, that has a, a $10 billion budget, um, but it, it definitely is signaling, you know, hey, we have this relationship with Clearview, we want to actually pursue this. Um, and, and yeah, so it, 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 this is this is the direction things are going in. Uh, I know things were, you know, obviously against Clearview in the beginning, but now it it really is just they're gaining customers uh, left and right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From looking back over kind of what you've seen so far internationally, Clearview has really been blocked on a lot of fronts. Uh, Canada, it's illegal to operate in. We discussed over the last couple of months how. France, the UK, also Australia, all basically pushed it out and, and find it as well and ordered them to delete data 
relevant to their citizens. But within the U.S., there are some lawsuits, but still uh, they're only kind of local uh, state or uh, kind of more local uh, laws that have been passed. So it remains to be seen very much what winds up happening. And I think hopefully within this year, <laughs> we'll have some sort of regulation. There have been uh, some laws proposed, some bills in Congress uh, that would regulate it, but uh, those are still you know, in progress. So we'll see how that goes. And on to our next article, a great resignation versus increasing investment in AI, robotics and automation, a troubling trend. Uh, so unemployment definitely fell um, in the last jobs report in December, uh, down to only 3.9%. Um, but that is actually, you know, covering up uh, something that's much more troubling. Um, so there is actually, you know, a record number of people did quit their jobs in 2021, over 40 million. Um, and uh, the U.S., Private sector job quality index, the JQI, shows that the quality of jobs has actually declined um, significantly. Um, and there's this increase in what's called lower level jobs and a, a decrease in those willing to you know, work those jobs. Um, and this is creating this very interesting um, incentive structure that is tipping in favor of robotics, AI and automation in general. Um, so this means the labor force is not as interested in um, a lot of the lower level jobs. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been hearing People talk about, oh, too many people have college degrees and want, you know, a certain type of job, um, but there are not as many, there's not as much need for those jobs and all the other jobs are being uh, kind of overlooked and people are having trouble finding, um, uh, you know, like a, a plumber or something like that because those are harder, those are harder to find people uh, to fill. Yeah, I often find it interesting in kind of a hot labor market when you walk around and just in every restaurant and every fast food place, there's a sign that says hiring. And that's very much been what I've seen. So, and I, I do think this article has an interesting point that, you know, even if there are jobs, if people aren't interested in uh, doing them, then maybe companies will just go ahead and do automation, even if they wouldn't have otherwise. And so, yeah, I think it's important to look at not just the unemployment rate, but also the labor participation rate in the U.S., which has been on the decline, basically meaning unemployment rate only looks at the share of people who have a job who are looking for a job. So there are the people not looking for a job aren't counted. And the labor participation rate is how many people are looking for a job that are of age, and that's at a low that's been, that's, you know, kind of hit a high in, uh, around the two thousands and then is kind of the lowest point since then now. So yeah, I think it's, it's good to know. And this article has some interesting points, although it's, you know, still too early to tell what, what's going to happen in this coming year and in this decade, but yeah, something to, I think, think about. Yeah, at the same time, it's um, uh, I don't think robots are quite ready for a lot of these tasks um, since even opening a 
door is very non-trivial for a robot. Like any, that is any door. It can open certain doors very easily. Um, but you know, the article does cite, uh, you know, this, oh, it's going to be so scary. You know, if we have this robot, um, that is, you know, perhaps being used for childcare. Um, but you know, uh, and it's, it could be very, you know, useful or attractive to, to certain employers. Um, but I don't think we're going to be there yet super soon with some of this technology. So there might be a bit of time where there's this huge gap and it's unclear what that gap might look like. Yeah, it definitely depends on the job. A few of them, for instance, uh, trucking, which is a huge, huge occupation. It's the number one uh, occupation in a majority of U.S. states, and if I remember correctly, possibly all of the U.S. And that is an area where there has been labor shortage, and you know, as you can imagine, is uh, uh, could be thought of as lower quality. It's lower paying for sure. Uh, so that kind of job and working at, let's say, an Amazon fulfillment center, that also presumably is is not a very nice job and there's a lot of turnover. So these uh, there are examples of things that are very amenable to automation uh, because, you know, we can have self-driving trucks, we can have robotic arms that don't need to open doors, but just pick up objects so definitely, it seems like we'll have some of that in the coming decade. And I guess the question is how much? And uh, it's easy to kind of overstate how much automation is going to happen because of AI, but we'll definitely see more of it this decade, I think. And on to our fun section of articles. Uh, GitHub Copilot wants to play chess instead of code. Uh, and so this is a uh, blog post that uses GitHub Copilot to write English instead of code. Um, and it can actually do fairly well on certain tasks, which is not surprising because it is based on GPT-3, uh, which is um, more or less trained to do that. And it also has been able to handle comments fairly well, you know, writing code based on the comment, but also writing comments itself. And I've actually noticed this uh, myself when I'm playing with Copilot. So I'm not um, super, super <laughs> surprised. Uh, but what's funny is that um, the author of the blog post actually uh, writes out, you know, um, or like a Q and a with the robot. Um, so like basically a chatbot um, through Copilot. Uh, and it was funny that it, it did get certain things to work. So it asked like the, the person asked, are you here? And it said, yes, I'm here. Like, who are you? I'm a computer program. Uh, why are you acting like a human? Because I am programmed to do so. Um, uh, it's it, what's your name? Um, my name is uh, Eliza, but you can call me Eliza or Eliza the computer. So that's, that's kind of funny, like as like a hard back to Eliza there but it's it's funny that uh, you know a lot of that is uh encoded into the model still yeah it's it's quite amusing to me as well it's just funny that this is supposed to be for code completion but as you said because it's uh fine-tuned from um from the more general gpt3 you can have these all these other things of auto completing songs and having conversations with it and so on and this blog post is, is quite fun it has a lot of gifs showing this uh these sort of things 
Uh, and yeah, I wonder if this is actually good, you know, whether this could impede sort of equality or lead to unexpected nonsense in some cases and whether, you know, as a product, it would make more sense to make it very specific to programming, but, uh, you know, I guess why not <laughs> for now it's, if you want to mess with it, you can go ahead and just try it and uh, have some fun with it. And on to our second fun story. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this one. We have AI ML machine learning students develop beer using AI. So this is about students at the University of Adelaide. Uh, this pair of students, Christopher Fusco and Josh Vera, were interning at, uh, I guess, the Barossa Valley Brewing Company, and they developed a, a model, a machine learning model, to basically rank how good beer recipes could be for craft beer. They collected a bunch of data from the internet, and it actually worked. They could evaluate a bunch of potential recipes. They got a few candidates, and these people at the Barossa Valley Brewing chose one and actually made it and it will be sold this month. So I would say that's definitely a fun use of AI, <laughs> but also useful. I would question whether it is actually necessary here. <laughs> I think it's it's like anything with creative AI, you know, okay, you, you okay. might get something interesting. Okay, and, uh, okay. There's actually a quote in, in this article where uh, yeah, so this is an interesting quote from uh, this person in charge of Brewery. It was asked what the beer tastes like, and the response was, it tastes like the future. Seriously, it's a fruit-driven IPA, which I'm very proud of and can't wait to release. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess creating craft beer is, is an artistic process, and... We've seen AI be used for painting and, and other things and music. And why not uh, for making beer? I That quote is pretty funny. It tastes like the future. <laughs> tastes like the future. That's some good marketing. <laughs> I feel like it's only sold because of that quote and that sentiment, the feeling of novelty. But, you know, I will I will let it. I will. Maybe it's way more. I don't know enough about beer to really be commenting intelligently about this. So. Exactly. And to be fair, this was an internship project. So I think it wasn't meant to be anything too serious. This Barossa Valley Brewing is a pretty small company. So it's just uh, an interesting demonstration of what two people over a few months can do I, Absolutely. I, I yeah. imagine it was just two months and yeah good for them for for doing something unique and I, I as far as I know probably something that hasn't been done before yeah I don't think it has I think it's pretty cool <laughs> and on to our last article uh, robo dogs and therapy bots artificial intelligence goes cuddly uh, so Japan has seen a huge uptick in social robots over the past few years. Um, and this is definitely, you know, related to COVID uh, isolation, um, as well as their declining uh, uh, population, um, where they have many, many elderly. Um, and a lot of these, uh, a lot of these therapy bots um, are uh, very, 
so they're robots, but they're they're very uh, <laughs> they're very animally and cuddly in that way. So one of them is a robotic puppy, um, Ibo. Uh, Lovat it looks kind of like a penguin. Um, Kubo is a pillow that has a motorized cattail, and when you pet it, you know it responds. Paro, the robot we've mentioned before, looks like a seal, uh, and it's used for therapeutic uses. And um, they're making their way into hospitals, elderly care homes, classrooms, um, and uh, <laughs> it's quite interesting to see so many on the market there. Um, and yeah, what are your thoughts on, on these? Would you want one? <laughs> yeah, well, I think we discussed this a bit before a couple of times. And um, yeah, I'm a big fan of this uh, in, in general. I think it's very um, useful. Obviously, it's it's a really good to help people with loneliness and it's good for helping some people develop social skills, for instance, autistic uh, kids, this could be good for them. And even there's been studies that showed that it can help with PTSD and anxiety and things like that, you know, just like pets can, obviously this is not as good, but it, it's better than nothing. And, uh, personally, yeah, I would love to have one. Uh, that being said, Ibo, this robotic puppy costs free thousand dollars. So I'm not going to be able to afford it anytime soon. But uh, this uh, this pillow with a motorized cat tail is only two hundred bucks, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I would say that's a pretty good gift. Nobody would expect that uh, to be gifted <laughs> no on their birthday. Like that. That is true. No one will expect it. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, instead of just getting a good old, you know, uh, cute uh, plushy animal, get them a cute plushy robot. Yeah, the move. I mean, I can see someone giving you that, you know, because of your work in robotics. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's 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 fun, but also it's it's quite serious in a sense of I think it's a great application, and I think. It's an area that people don't associate robotics so much yet uh, in terms of, you know, there's more more association with automation and the Terminator and so on. But hopefully as we sort of proliferate, uh, people will realize that um, kind of friendly robots are a really nice thing to have around and, and just to cheer you up a bit instead of just being as we have been in COVID, just uh, in these isolated, boring uh, environments, I suppose. That is right. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Scanner Today's Last Week in AI podcast. Um, but before we really go, please let us know any thoughts you have directly to our email, contact at lastweekin.ai. Again, you can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekin.ai. Yep. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Probably you are already subscribed, but if not, go ahead. And if you are subscribed, please give us a rating and a review on iTunes or elsewhere. Uh, we always like to see new ones and we, I think, still haven't hit 10, so... That would be very exciting. If we get to 10 reviews, you know, that would just make my day. So if you like a podcast, uh, yeah, 
I would say <laughs> just just jump on, you know, we have a link in the episode description. Go ahead and give us, I would say four stars. Uh, personally, I think it's a four star podcast. No. Six. If you, six, six out of five. Well, we <laughs> average to five. So we recommend a five star review, but you can make up your mind, you know. <laughs> anyway, that out of the way, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, our first one of 2022, as far as these regular episodes. And yeah, be sure to tune in to our fish ones for the rest of 2022.